And uh, now we want to give you an opportunity to pray to him. Uh, through praise, we've created an atmosphere I'm sure he's delighted to inhabit. And now that we have this clear sense of his presence, we ought to order our petitions before him because there's so much uh, that we need in these trying days. And so I want to invite uh, to stand here, we've done this before, uh, four of the ministers of the church uh, who will uh, be willing to receive you for prayer. And I'll tell you exactly what we're going to do. If you think of the word pray, uh, P-R-A-Y, uh, each of these men is going to represent, uh, hey, Wade, are you going to join us? Thank you, brother. Come on o over here. It's great to see. It's great to see Wade. Uh, no, that's okay, brother. We're glad you were enjoying the conversation, but we need you. <laughs> so, no, you're doing fine. And, and brother Embry will represent uh, uh, the P in the word pray for physical needs. Anybody here? when we give you this opportunity, is invited to come forward to pray together for, uh, for healing and for sustenance and for the Lord to have his way as great physician in your life or on behalf of someone you know who's ailing at present. So that's what Brother Emery is willing to do. And, and uh, Brother Roy is going to represent the R in the word pray, and that's for redemption. The Lord is a redeemer. And uh, uh, it's very fitting for our missions pastor to be offering prayer on behalf of redemption. We think of our missionaries serving as agents of redemption around the world. We think of whole people groups who stand in need of redemption. And you may have on your heart a real burden for a person by name who is sorely in need of redemption from the Lord Jesus. And so we would invite you to come to pray together with Brother Roy and Wade finally um, is, is representing the letter A in the word pray, um, you don't have to be persuaded that America is really in need of prayer. Uh, if you're like me, and you are, we know the Lord Jesus is our only hope. We show respect uh, for the structures and systems of society, but worship only him, for he possesses power to change and to revive and to transform and uh, we hope he has not forsaken us at this point. We want to beseech him on behalf of America. And Brother Wade is going to receive people who are burdened for our country and would like to intercede on behalf of America. And then uh, Brother Wes, uh, he's going to represent uh, the last word and letter in the word pray, why. And this is where we want you to come in order to uh, utter your petitions on behalf of your family members in your family who are experiencing need and uh, need help, and this is the right thing to do, beseech the Most High God to help your family members. So could I ask the congregation to please all stand once again to your feet? Uh, and um, we want to invite you now to come forward to these respective spots in accordance with what burden is on your heart and if you feel more comfortable where you are, please, please 
uh, stay where you are and just pray as these are being led in prayer uh, up front. There might be something particularly on your heart. If you want to partner with someone near you to pray together, that's fine. If you're more comfortable uh, praying silently to the Lord Jesus on behalf of whatever it is that's on your heart now, would you please do so? So let me invite you, dear folks, to take advantage of this a wonderful opportunity to have the Lord's ear. He hears the prayers of his people. Please begin to pray now. Well, God bless you folks. Thank you so much for doing that. You just did what only Christians could do. That's the distinct privilege of sons and daughters of God to be able, just as we are, to come to the throne of grace, just as you just did. <clears throat> no special attire. No fanfare, no liturgy required, just the bridge who is the Lord Jesus who enables us to have access uh, to the Father, his and ours, by faith. And what you just did, I think, was quite pleasing to the Father because it uh, communicated to him our capacity to trust him, we trust him, and our sheer and utter dependence on him. And we got a lot done by doing what we just did. We didn't worry about those things. We didn't labor over them. We didn't strive to fix what we can't fix. <clears throat> we took our burdens to the Lord Jesus. He has really big shoulders. He can handle the load. He hears, he answers, he acts. So that was wonderful. We were the church, distinctively the church those last few minutes. And there's something else about the church, and that is it has an appetite to grow. We want to see others joined to the head of the church, the Lord Jesus, and that requires sharing of the most marvelous message known to humankind. We call it the gospel. It means good news. It's good news that we who sin can be forgiven by the Savior who never committed sin of his own, but was willing to take ours on the cross in our place. It's a simple message. You can share it in perhaps 25 words or less, but there's a hesitation to do so. Most of us uh, have fears about it. And so there's an opportunity I want to tell you about. It begins again tonight. It's a, 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 it's a class, and it's called Share Jesus Without Fear. And anyone is invited, men or women, uh, at the conclusion of our service, 715, uh, in this building in the North Wing, uh, room 1313. It's led by Willard Moore. Anybody could come. You do not have to be a member of this church. Uh, it, we do it on a rotation, a rotating basis, and so it's beginning anew tonight. If, if you've never had some help in sharing your faith, uh, you'll be able to find out you could do it, and you'll receive practical helps. So it's in room 1313, the north wing of this building. It's called Share Jesus Without Fear. And you're invited to it. Tonight is the first one. And then I want to tell you about a special activity on Wednesday night, not next week, but the week after. So that would be the 20th, Lord willing. We're going to depart from our normal fare on that night. And we're going to have uh, experts as part of a panel on the subject of violence. Why? Well, because we all have been sadly confronted with the reality of irrational and unanticipated, surprising, devastating acts of violence in recent days, like at uh, 
uh, Shady Hook Elementary in Connecticut and many, many other places. And so our pastor has asked us to provide some practical helps with regard to recognizing red flags in the lives even of our children and grandchildren or the children we work with and minister to, uh, to alert us before there's overt aggressive, hostile, violent behavior to alert us to certain red flags uh, so that we could intervene and maybe provide helps to these who otherwise would go without help. And so we're going to do this on the 20th, so we will not be in Bible study. And so I just want to tell you about this, because if you think that that's not right, then don't come on that night, okay? I, just, I don't mean that obnoxiously, I just want to be fair to you. I assure you we will integrate scripture, but mainly we want to hear from experts in the field. And so we're going to have counselors from our counseling center here. And one of our members is an expert in, as a psychiatric nurse who deals with hostile behaviors all day long. And we want to give you a list of red flags or safeguards to be aware of and then field some of your questions. We'll have a Q&A question and answer time at the end of the service in uh, room 1313. I'll tell you more about it. But, but anyway, that's the 20th, okay? So two weeks uh, from tonight, there'll be this panel up here. One of the members will be the minister you saw in the baptistry earlier with this wonderful young child who was baptized. That's Mike Schumacher. He's the director of our counseling ministry. He was called in to do counseling in Oklahoma when there was a bombing and after the shooting at Wedgwood Baptist Church in Fort Worth. So I don't know if you know this, but we have in our midst people with lots of experience and expertise who from a Christian perspective will help us to know how to approach, deal with, and maybe even keep from happening, uh, even in our own midst, some of these things which uh, are so horrifying our country and the world today. So that's February 20th, right in here, same time, same place, and invite a friend if you think this might be helpful to them. I feel uh, almost like I should apologize for uh, what I just said, because I wish what I just said wasn't necessary. I wish we weren't faced with that kind of horrific reality, but we are. Uh, that's the way it is in this land, in this present experience. And because the present experience in our country and beyond is becoming so increasingly unsettling and even distasteful to us, if you're like me, you're yearning for a better country. You're yearning for things to be different. Uh, I know I am. I think you are as well. And if so, you've come to the right place because the text before us tonight is about that very thing. We've been in, in the letter of Hebrews. We've called it the letter of better. And tonight we'll continue that theme by speaking of this topic. We'll talk about a country that is better, far better than any other country imaginable. And to do this, I want to direct your attention to Hebrews chapter 11 tonight, beginning in verse 13. We're going at kind of a snail's pace, and I apologize, but there's just a lot in the text I think it's worth our while to slow down and take a look at. So tonight, Hebrews chapter 11, take a look beginning at verse 13. All these which begs the question, who are the these? Well, if you look to the context, the these are those who were named before. 
Abraham, uh, Isaac, Jacob, Sarah, and the others, all these who the writer of Hebrews has spoken of in such glowing terms, all these folks, notable heroes of the faith, all these died. And there you have it, that very harsh reality, that uh, commonality which all we humans have, the inevitability of uh, death and dying. All these died. This is part of the human condition, but that we all die doesn't mean we all die the same way. You see, all these died in faith. They lived in the atmosphere and under the influence of faith, and that's just how they died. It's one thing to live as a person of faith, but the real test of it is what are things like with you at the point of dying? Uh, these died with an expectation that death did not have the final word. As a result, they did not fear it. Though they knew it was inevitable, they did not find it to be horrifying, for the giver of life guaranteed them life after death. They believed that for the duration of their years on earth, and they believed it at the point of dying. I must tell you, it's not entirely a pleasant experience to be at the bedside of a Christian who's about to pass, but it is really quite telling. It evidences the reality of Almighty God. Christians die differently than those who have no hope. I just have to tell you, and every time I have the experience of being close to a saint about to be promoted to heaven, it does tremendous things in terms of my faith. It gives me evidence of the fact that this otherwise unseen God has taken up his abode in their life, implanted his mind in theirs so that they are mindful of a reality they have not yet seen. But it is so real to them, it affects even the way they depart. You don't see despair. You don't see a woe is me. You see, I long to see my Savior face to face. My mother is 97 years old. She's ready to go home. One time when she was sharing this, I said, me too. She said, you're not permitted, you're too young. <laughs> but there's something in each of us who has been redeemed, regardless of age, that has created a longing and a hunger. No longer a fear. A longing and a hunger for heaven. And for a face-to-face -face relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. All these who died, died in different ways. You might say some of natural causes, and you might say some tragically by accident, by disease. It doesn't matter. And the writer doesn't distinguish. All these who died in faith evidenced the confidence in the promises of the giver of life that eased their passage from this reality into that which is actually the ultimate reality. And so they died in faith, yet without receiving the promises. See it? Oh, well, 
they received promises from God in the sense that he gave them, but they did not receive the promises of God in the sense that he fulfilled them entirely during the span of their life. And so the patriarchs were given promises, for instance, of the land, and yet many never came into full possession of it. Abraham spent all his life. Hey, Brother Harold, we were talking about this today, you and I, and you brought up this great point. Abraham, as he went through the land, was in a tent the whole time. He never really settled in entirely. And uh, the promise was given of seed and multitude. Many of them never actually saw that come to fruition. So they received the promises, but not the fulfillment thereof during their life on earth. And there is a promise made, uh, but that they did not see fulfilled in their life. And it was the promise of the coming Savior. Have you ever wondered how people in the Old Testament were saved? They were saved by a faithful expectation of the coming Messiah. I can prove this to you. Listen, John chapter 8, verse 56. Your father, Abraham, rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. Those are the words of Jesus. Your father, he's speaking to Jews about Abraham, the Old Testament patriarch. Your father, Abraham, rejoiced to see my day, the day of Messiah. And he did see it and was glad. But he didn't see it with these eyes because the Lord Jesus was not yet enfleshed in the Old Testament. So in what sense did Abraham see the Redeemer? The eyes of faith. Look, they died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance. Their faith in the coming Messiah enable them somehow to extend their arm and lay hold of a future contingency which did not happen. They could bring near the reality of a coming Savior who was only typified through all of the Old Testament sacrificial system. They could bring the ultimate Lamb of God through faith close so that... They lived in light of his one day coming and appearing. It's like a telescope. If you've ever peered through the lens of a telescope, it brings the galaxy, galaxies and stars way out of human reach. It brings them close. Uh, and faith is like this telescope, which brings nigh the fulfillment of all the promises of God, even though in their lifetime. They had not yet received the entire fulfillment. Having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance, it affected them. The future certainty of the fulfillment of God's promises so affected them in the present that this is what happened. Having confessed they were strangers and exiles on earth, they admitted, 
I know we look a little strange to you. I confess it. The reason why I look a little strange to you, have values you don't agree with, the reason why I order my life differently than yours, the reason why I pray, attend church with other Christians and seek to honor God, the reason I do all this, I confess, is that I'm a stranger to you. I'm just passing through. Because the future reality of the fulfillment of God's promises was so real to them, it affected their present life experience. They lived today in light of the future, and they knew they would see the Lord Jesus one day, and they lived today just as if he was here right now. And that made them look like strangers and exiles. And they didn't hide it. They confessed it. Confession is public. I wonder if today we're trying awfully hard to fit in when it looks to me these said we're not going to fit in. We're strangers and exiles. Have you ever been a stranger in a foreign country? One that is not your own? If you have, you feel uncomfortable because it's not your land. It's not your country. Do you know we Christians are supposed to feel uncomfortable about being here? I just want to validate this. If you're uncomfortable about the way things are going on, that actually is evidence of the fact that you've been embraced by Almighty God and you're setting your sights on a far better country. Folks, it's really, really, really getting increasingly uncomfortable for us to hear about the acceptability of certain marital relations we know are outside the will of God. In fact, we think it is the quintessence of human arrogance to edit holy matrimony. This is God's idea. He came up with the idea. And for humankind to say, no, it doesn't include all possible combinations and permutations and genders and all the rest, we're going to change the system God came up with because we could do it better. That is the quintessence of human act. We hate, we, and we take stands on that, and the world increasingly is going to say, you are strange. We think it's strange to snuff out the life of a baby in a mother's womb. We think it's wrong to do that. We don't think it's ever justified. We don't think we have a right to do that because we believe in something called the sanctity of human life. It has nothing to do with the quality of human life. By the mere fact one is created in the image of God makes that life sanctified, holy, to snuff it out under any circumstance. And when a government legalizes it, we are estranged from that. Are you uncomfortable with that? Good, that's an evidence of the fact that your citizenship is in, in heaven. You're not supposed to feel comfortable with that kind of... We think it's immorable, immoral to run up government indebtedness to the extent it's been run up. We don't believe in that. We believe in living with one's means provided by Almighty God. 
We think that's a moral issue, not an economic issue. We think the Bible authorizes means by which an honest citizen can defend self or family. We don't agree with the fact that an instrument of an inanimate kind is the problem. It isn't guns. It's sinful people who misuse them. We're estranged from this. Are you uncomfortable with... We think it's strange to turn a cold shoulder to the only true democracy in the Middle East, the land of the Bible, the land of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the only land we are commanded to pray for. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem and to turn a cold shoulder to it. We think that's strange. We feel disenchanted, disenfranchised by that. And let me tell you something. You are never going to fit in if that's how you feel. Because you're a stranger and an exile. And these in Hebrews 11 seem to boast about it. We confess in light of the fact we have the eyes of faith. And we know heavenly eternal realities are the real reality. We know the justice maker. We know he'll make all things right. We know living for him now will bring its own reward. We know he who we do not see now will be seen face to face one day. Knowing all those things makes us proudly confess. We're not like you. We don't fit in. We don't share your values. We don't laugh at the things you laugh at. We're not entertained by the movies you're entertained by. We don't fit in. We don't like it. Call us names. Call us Bible thumpers. Call us hate mongers. Call us what you want. But we are called by the name of Jesus Christ. Christian. Christian. Strangers. And do you know the Lord's Prayer? How does it start? Where is he? And that's the issue. Our Father is in heaven, and that's why our longing is for that place, and we feel estranged in this place. We feel like a child in a strange land looking for daddy, and ours is in heaven. That's where we belong, don't you see? I didn't say abandon this life. I didn't say, listen, there was a letter written in the second century anonymously. It's called the Epistle to Diognetus. Listen, it was written by someone about ones like us. Someone wrote a description of Christians. Second century, listen, they inhabit their own country. But as sojourners... They take part in all things as citizens and endure all things as aliens. Every foreign country is theirs and every country is foreign. Second century. I'm proud to belong to that heritage. Are you? I'm not trying to fit in. I'm in with the forever family. That's better. That's for better. So I have to tell you, all of us who are heirs of salvation, like these listed in Hebrews 11, we are homeless refugees on earth. And no homeless refugee feels comfortable. Are you unsettled? Are you distressed? Do you feel estranged? That's really good. 
That is all evidence of the fact that your father is in heaven. That's good stuff. And if you are not comfortable here, it's because there's a longing in your heart for a better country. Let me read this to you. John chapter 15, verses 18 and 19. If the world hates you, it does. You know that it has hated me, says the Lord Jesus, before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. That's what it says. That's what it says. So here's more about those who proudly, boldly, confess that they are strangers and exiles on earth. Verse 14, for those who say such things, the things we just read in verse 13, those who say such things make it clear they are seeking a country of their own. They're not looking for a country they can make their own. They're looking for the country that is already their own. They're not looking to secede from the union. Do that if you want to. But that's not what's in view here. They're not looking to find a place to make their own. They're looking to go to the place that already is their own. And they know they're not going to find it here on earth. And they're so hopeful of being there one day. It became their focus here to such an extent that they resisted the temptation to go back. They had a forward view. Have you heard the expression, you can be so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good? I don't believe that. I don't go, listen to me. If you're really heavenly minded, you're going to really, really be of tremendous earthly good. You're going to want people to go with you. You're going to talk to them about ultimate realities. You're going to share with them that Jesus is the way to heaven. No, no. Our problem is not that we're too heavenly minded. We're too earthbound. Good night, folks. We dig in here like we're going to be here forever. No, we're not. What did someone say one time? Don't drive your stakes too far in the ground. We're pulling up camp tomorrow or something like that. It's an old country saying we used to say in New York all the time. So, so we're so expectant uh, of our residence in heaven, either when we pass or the Lord comes, whichever comes first. Um, it gives us a forward look, which militates against a backward look. Look, and indeed, verse 15, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. Abram came from a place called Mesopotamia, land between the rivers, Tigris and Euphrates rivers, located in modern-day Iraq, a place of terrible idolatry. If Abraham dwelt on it, that's what it means. If he continuously yearned for the good old days, he would have had... uh, it would have induced him perhaps to act upon his thoughts and go back to that land. And that's what happens to us. Sometimes as Christians, we think about how it's really rough today. I'm not fitting in. People don't like me. I am a Christian. They think I'm really strange. I want to go back to the old, the old days. 
of idolatry to alcohol to drugs to women to loneliness to alienation to purposelessness to sin to separation from God no we ought to, you can't be too heavenly minded and it's a precaution from going back to the old ways. Now, why does the writer say this here? Listen, remember, context is everything. Remember, his audience, Hebrews, was a mixed bag of Hebrews who believed and Hebrews who only said they believed. It's just like every church where there are actual Christians and then those who call themselves Christians but ain't. The writer He's not calling out by names and saying, I know you believe and you really don't. He's addressing the whole group, but with specific attention, warning to those now who only professed faith in Christ and who were attempted to go back to the old country. What was it? Judaism. What did Judaism do? Judaism said, do the law of Moses and all this kind of stuff, and that's how you'll be right with God. Oh, no. Those are just foreshadowing religion. Oh, no. You can't build a religious ladder high enough by your own good deeds to be worthy of Almighty God. It's him who has to reach down to us. We can't build a ladder of good works to him. And so the writer is saying, you don't want to go back to that, do you? You always were on the outs with God. You never had peace with him. You had a sense of guilt and shame all the time. It's because you knew you owed him a debt you could not. You don't want to go back to your old religious system, do you? They were prone to do it because in this day in Hebrews, uh, those calling upon the name of Christ were being persecuted. So he's telling them, no, you ought to follow the example of these people of faith. No, no, they didn't realize the complete fulfillment of all God had in store for them here. But they lived in light of it because they knew that God was trustworthy. He would offer his own life as a sacrifice for them. He won their hearts. He was worthy of their trust and of their confidence in spite of circumstances around you. Don't You don't want to go back to the old. Those weren't the good old days. That was bad stuff. So these here who had their eyes on the heavenly reward, they were not so tempted to go back to the old land. No, uh, in contrast to it, verse 16, as it is, they desire a better country. What kind? A heavenly one. <clears throat> the heavenly country is far better than any upon earth. Why? There's no sin in it. <clears throat> and Jesus is there. <laughs> There's no dying in it. There's no weeping in it. There's no loss in it. <sighs> you don't get tired of worshiping him. You don't get distracted from serving. There's no friction amongst his kids. There's no impurity. There's no, there's no corruption. There's no cancer. There's no depression. There's no anxiety. There's no diabetes. There's no aging process. There's no aches. There's no pains. <sighs> Yay. 
Yay. Yay. They desire that better country. They didn't have an expectation of getting comfortable in this one. This was not their home. They were strangers and exiles. They wanted to be good citizens where they were, as we ought to be. They wanted to contribute. They wanted to be salt in life on earth while there still is earth. But they didn't invest in it as if it was, as if it was their home, as if they were supposed to be accepted and popular and understood. No. They knew they were strangers and exiles. It didn't bother them because they desired their own better country. It was a heavenly one. And because of it, look what it says, verse 16. Therefore, because of this implanted desire to be where their father was, therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Oh, don't take that lightly. There was a debate recently between a well-known atheist and a good Christian philosopher. And the atheist challenged the Christian, uh, <laughs> if you could explain to me the problem of evil in the world, I'll believe in God. You, what you want to do is back away for a second and see the arrogance of it. In the atheist's comment, he is implying he believes in the existence of God. He just doesn't approve of the way God is ordering the universe. He's simply saying, explain to me evil in the world. Once you explain it to me in a way that is acceptable to me, then I'll believe in the God who I wouldn't even have a concept of unless I believed he was. There's no such thing as a true atheist. An atheist is denying the existence of theos, God. Where'd you even get the concept of God if there ain't none? But the audacity of it, this person is not invalidating the existence of God. He's invalidating himself. He's putting God on trial. Oh, no, he's the one on trial. He is saying, if I agree with what God is up to, I'll believe in him. Oh, no. If God was a cruel dictator, we would still be obligated to believe in him. But thank him and praise him. He ain't. He's not nothing. He's incomprehensible for sure. I can't explain the problem of evil. All I know of is the reality of sin, which persuades me I'm God. And could put God, the real one, under review. Folks, I got to tell you something. That person is ashamed to identify himself with the God of the Bible. But the real tragedy is if God is ashamed to identify himself with us. This astonishing statement says he's not ashamed to call them God. So he said, I am the God. Listen, I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Isaac. I am the God of Seth. Flawed people. But God was not ashamed. It wasn't their flaws that caused him to be ashamed of them. It would have been their lack of faith in him. How, if you show no confidence in the promises of God, how could he value a connection with you? But if you're a person of faith who has taken the God of the Bible at his word, you know what he's saying? He's saying, oh, there's my son. That's my daughter. He's mine. She's mine. 
It's not just the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's the God of, could you put your name in there by faith? If so, God says, I'm not ashamed of you. And listen, if God's not ashamed of you, that means there's communion, relationship, and connection. And there's something about God. He just doesn't pay lip service to relationships. No. If you're in relationship with Almighty God, He provides for you. And therefore, it says, He has prepared a city for them. God will never have to apologize for not providing well for His kids. Never. Never, never, never. If by faith, you're in his embrace as heavenly father through the beloved son, the Lord Jesus. He's not ashamed of you, which means he's in communion. The opposite is true. It means he's taken you unto himself. And if he's taken you unto himself, though you have been otherwise a homeless refugee, oh, no. You're at home with the father. And the father says, and I guarantee I have a home prepared for you. I have a far, far better place prepared for you. Folks, I got to tell you, I'm not checking out. I'm not giving up. I still want to be useful to God. He's given us a great commission here. Don't misunderstand. But I am thrilled that, to say I don't like being here. And this confirms to me. Somehow in a spiritual way. I'm not supposed to like being here. <laughs> it's not my father's home. It's not my eternal home. We can't live here like this is all there is, folks. <laughs> oh, no. You know what this life is? This is a bridge to the next one. You don't build a home on a bridge, do you? You just pass through it. When you do, glorify God, represent him. For sure, don't misunderstand. But don't dig in like this is it. I don't want to invest unduly here. When I pray, our Father who art in heaven, I want to be in heaven. And he's not ashamed to be called our God. Listen. 1 John 3, 1, see how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. And such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. My fellow strangers and exiles, rejoice. The whole message of the book of Hebrews is this. There is a better way to a better country. That's the whole message. Jesus is the better way. There is no other way. And heaven is a better country. And you can only get there through faith in the Lord Jesus who made a way. He said, I am the way, the truth, the life. He said, nobody can come to the Father, but by me. He's the better way to a better day and a better place. Are you a Christian? You're not going to fit in. Stop trying to be. Are you a Christian? 
you will need to be around fellow Christians more than ever before because increasingly the burner is being turned up. Christians are going to come under tremendous fire increasingly. It's only going to hone down our faith experience. It's only going to sharpen us. It's only going to cause our roots to grow deeper in the faith. But it's going to happen. We're going to need each other more than ever before. Because even though we step on each other's toes from time to time, we are all kids of the Father through the Lord Jesus. And with that in common, we're really going to need each other. So I want to ask you this. God said, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I can tell you, uh, he's the God of Stuart. I don't, I'm not arrogant or anything. I'm just telling you, on the same basis they came to him, I came to him. Would you, would you take me up into your family? Would you forgive my sin? I accept your provision of it, the Lord Jesus Christ, as the only way. Would you make me to be a part of your family? Would you change me from the inside? And God said, yes, of course. I received the promise, though not the ultimate fulfillment thereof yet. I received the promise. So I want to ask you, could you say, could you say, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, God of Stuart, God of, could you put your name there? It's yes or no answer. Yes or no. And if the answer is no, could I invite you to stay around as we conclude just in a minute or two and invite you to a room in the back called the Connection Center where we would like for you to just state your thoughts, if you'd like, with some people there who will talk to you about how, how, to, how to find that your name justifiably can be put in the God of, and your name could be there. How could you have this connection with this most high God? On what basis would he have you? You know what you're made of. You don't even like you. How could he love you? How about a little conversation? That's a valid concern you have. We'd like to talk to you in the connection center. In fact, I want to pray in those terms. Let's pray, Lord Jesus. Thank you for rescuing us, saving us. Thank you for better land. Thank you for this country. We're grateful for it, but it's not our home. Thank you for better land. It is our home. Why? Because the king is in residence there. Our father who art in heaven. Until we see you face to face, we want to live now as if it's already happened. We want to lay hold of the fulfillment of that promise just as these of old did in such fashion that we live as, it's, as if it's already taken place. Oh God, distinguish yourself amongst us not as ones who conform and fit in but as ones who stand out as citizens of heaven for your name's sake for your glory and this we pray in Jesus name Amen